guess I should start this. Um, so I have Lauren from Lamb's Candies in office today. Hi. Lamb's, Lamb's is an Austin, Austin chocolate company that has been around since the dawn of time. <laughs> but we're talking about how we met. Um, so what was it two years ago, a year and a half ago? About a year and a half ago. Actually, I think it was last August that we were doing our kind of discovery with the comics. I actually know what day it was. I think it was a year ago today. So the reason I know this before, before it sounds like weird, and I look this up. <laughs> so one of our senior sales guy, Jared, had his one year anniversary day before yesterday. And on his second day here, I made him come with me because I was like, look, you're not gonna understand what's going on. We're going to a partner's office, a cool Austin company that everyone knows, like just sit there and not don't say anything. <laughs> and so I'm pretty sure it was like a year ago, like today, or like right around this. That is incredible. And yeah, it's gotta be, because it was it just happened because because he told me he was like, because we were like we didn't really know each other. And he was like in my car and he's like <laughs> No wonder he was so quiet. Well, and, he, and he was nervous about my driving. For the record, I'm a good driver. But I remember him checking my blind spots for me and being like, Why are you looking at my blind spots? That's amazing. But yeah, so yeah, so we met at Big Commerce, we all sat down together, and one of the things that, that struck me about this was is that you guys had one of the owners, you had the controller was a very intimidating gentleman. We knew all very super nice, but like that was the end. the answer to everything. But it was still like it felt like a family. Like I was mm -hmm. sitting down with a family of people to make like this massive decision. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Is that is that like a core thing of Lambs or is that that is totally a core thing thing of for Lambs. We never approach a new relationship lightly. It's all, that's kind of our core decision team for e-commerce. Um, it's me, it's our controller. He basically looks out for Lambs overall. Like, He's been working there longer than we've been alive. Right, that's so crazy. like he just makes sure that financially we're making the right decisions. Um, and he has, a, he has an IT background, so that's largely the role he's played before with previous partners. I've kind of started picking some of that up a little bit, but I've learned so much from Mark. And then of course there's Pam Tice, who is our company president. She's a co-owner, um, but then she's also, she doesn't like to use titles, but she's also like the director of consumer sales basically. Um, so the three of us, we always, we're in every meeting together, we discuss together. And that was a huge decision for us. You know, even so much had led up to that meeting at Big Commerce and the context of having Shipper HQ in there, having, you know, sales guys from Big Commerce, um, you know, um, engineers, Fahrenheit was there. Like that was sort of, that was the culmination of so much work. But for us, it felt like, you know, we need, to make a really good decision here, we're going to vet out every single person. <laughs> I think it's a good way to do it, though, because I feel like I don't want to go too much into like what led you to BC, because I know some of that we don't want to talk about. But the fact that you guys put so much thought into this, because you guys do have uh, a legacy, like mm -hmm. a true legacy, because you guys have been around since was it eighteen eighty five eighteen eighty five, and so whenever you, I first heard of your candy company before, like we started working together. Someone told me the story about like how it was started and then the poker game thing. This was at a Lamb's candy shop, I don't know, maybe 
15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, I was really young, but I remember hearing this story, and I don't know if you can tell it, because, like, it's, I don't know, it's the coolest thing ever. Yeah, so it actually goes back even further than that. Um, the great-grandfather of our owners today, his name was William Wirt Lamb, and he started the Red Front Candy Store in 1878, and that was on 8th and Congress. This was like at the time that the Capitol was like, I think it had burned or something and it was being rebuilt. Like they were like just down the street. This was at a time when like ox carts were, you know, going down Congress. Like it was not what it is today, but it was like literally like at the heart of Austin that this, you know, little candy store kind of came to life. And so William Wirt, he bet the company in a poker game and so he lost the business. He made a really bad bet. And so that could have been it. But his son, David Turner Lamb Sr., he came to Austin three months later and he repaid the gambling debt, which was $800. And then he reclaimed the business for himself and changed the name to Lamb's Candies. And it's been in the family ever since for five generations. I love that story so I much. know. It's so good. I, like, I love that story. It's just... There's nothing like it. Yeah. And, like, I think that's, like, one of the things, like, with the podcast, because I have the unique relationships with, like, the e-commerce directors and the people who, you know, the people we talk about this. But then you hear these other parts of the story that aren't about shipping, like, what we talk about. But it's, like, hold on, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Like, that, and that's, that's like, what I want to talk about with, like, the, the podcast is, like, the stories of that and the stories mm -hmm. of how in the world did you get into chocolate. So, like, those are the things, like, to me, and, like, what I sent you was, like, it's just so cool. Yeah, yeah. So Sun started Lamb's Candies. So how many stores did they have? Like there was this the one. Okay. And that was on that was on Congress for a really long time. And then they had to move into a new place that was still on Congress. Mm -hmm. That was I think like in the fifties. Um, and then they just started to scale up. And um, with retail, it's been there's been a lot of sort of experimentation, I think. At times, there have been stores in San Antonio, in San Marcos. They've had to close those. Today, we have five retail stores. How many did you have at, like, the highest point? I think 10. Okay. So, you know, there, there are certain realities. But all, but all Texas, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. All Texas. We do have a wholesale division, so we also sell our product through mostly mom-and-pop shops mm -hmm. throughout the country, um, but then also through private label bigger retailers like Neiman Marcus and Nordstrom. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Central Market. So, I didn't know that. Yeah, so we're probably because it's private label. Oh, exactly. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what the recipe tastes like. It's there, it's there. It's exactly, exactly. Um, so the it's been interesting because in the past, I think that we had looked at the company as two separate divisions, mm -hmm. wholesale and retail 50 percent each basically is that common for people with retail wholesale like merchants i'm not sure i'm not because this was all being established so long ago oh uh, yeah I guess you it's know true. yeah like it, it's it i mean our our mail order um division which is basically catalog I mean, that came to life in the 20s. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that more later. We will. Okay. Yeah, I can't we'll, wait to we're going to get to that later. Yeah, there's, uh, should I get into that? or? I mean, so I think, so it started brick and mortar. Uh -huh. And then was the mail order the next thing after that? Or like, 
this, yes. so we're talking. So just for the record, we're talking about a series of events that happened before World War One. So if Lauren's a bit shaky on some of these, it's because because I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> Almost everyone listening was not alive for like when these decisions were being made. But it was brick and mortar, and then went to the mail order, mm-hmm. and then that's turned into the catalog. So, and I almost have to talk through it because I can't keep it straight in my head. During World World War II, they had soldiers stationed in Austin. And at this time, D.T. Lambs, you know, he's the son, he now owns a company. He would only make pralines, Texas tree pecan pralines, when there were enough orders to fulfill 25 pounds. So he would wait, you know, customers would basically reserve them. And then once he got 25 pounds worth, he'd make them, he would do a little card and he would mail it to them. They'd come pick it up. Well, during the war, um, that just exploded. Like the soldiers primarily were discovering the, the chewies and they would send them back home. Oh, okay. So they would send them back home. So word started to spread that, oh my gosh, there's this confection that you've never, like it's totally unique. You've never had anything like it. It's these like Texas pralines. And so all of a sudden, um, the company, DT Lamb, he would get like, hordes of email like not emails <laughs> mail he would, he would just get hordes of like mail um from people saying like i want more pralines i need more pralines so really that mail order business came out of that um and so they realized hey like you know we can do this we can ship so they started shipping like around the world it just started expanding and that's the way you know the, the brand awareness, you know, for us at that time really took off. That was word of mouth. And it's amazing because that's still a huge part of um, our, our marketing strategy is harnessing that, that um, word of mouth. Um, but so ultimately, um, they started putting together um, some pieces for marketing, you know, mm-hmm. direct marketing, um, and started using um, different little slogans like pralines for everyone trying to say like hey you know send us your entire christmas gift list oh, um, okay we'll so do it all exactly we'll do it all so they put together these really cute like little catalogs mm-hmm. and order forms in there so that way it's easy to fill it out send it back i still do the catalog too right we do the catalog um we have a, about a 13 percent conversion um on those who receive it end up placing an order with us i feel like it's pretty good it is pretty good. Yeah, I don't I don't know about like top side of it and like my my piece of it was like before I was doing shipping, I used to run operations for a chain of restaurants and then I also did our social marketing and our owner was very old school, wanted newspaper inserts because he thought that the demo that he wanted to bring in would would there be a better return on investment. And I think that we had like eight or nine percent is what we'd see of like coupons, like we'd send out a a ton and we get like eight or nine percent of it back and when i looked at the staff the first time i was like is this good and mm-hmm. they were like that's pretty good yeah so because it's 13 <laughs> i'm like yeah, that's pretty good it's more than it's more than eight or nine percent right yeah 13 percent is is actually pretty good and a lot of that is because people are requesting these catalogs so when we're looking at all of our data you know that's a mixed bag um, of people who have requested it for their friends, they've mm-hmm. requested it for themselves, they were previous you know, first-time customers, mm-hmm. so we sent them one. We're not really into buying lists mm-hmm. and then just kind of selling mail to whoever you know 
whatever address we can get a hold of because we we don't like that. And you have like a hundred and twenty something years of exactly like emails and not emails mail mail addresses and email addresses. Yeah. So there's, you already have someone. There's no need like. You could sell that if you wanted to. Right. We well, wouldn't, but what's what's actually tricky is that in the past, you know, five, ten years, we've migrated to different systems like three times because this e-commerce piece, it's it's basically the baby of the family. Mm-hmm. Because as I was saying, because it started out with wholesale, about fifty percent mm-hmm. of our sales, retail, about fifty percent of our sales. And so retail then kind of branches out and we had our brick and mortar stores and then it branches out again and that that's where mail order was traditionally like under retail it wasn't its own separate division interesting because it was just looked at as consumer sales basically um so we had retail mail order and then even under mail order there's like these different touch points you know there's the direct catalog um we would mainly focus on our call center Mm -hmm. efficiency at that time because Probably at the time, 70, 80% of the orders were processed through our call center. And then you also have this itty-bitty little e-commerce site. And when did the e-commerce site start? More than 20 years ago. Which is crazy. I do know that was more than 20 years ago. I think one of the most interesting things about like Lamp is it was very forward-thinking in a lot of this. Because Mm -hmm. like to be trying to take or like to be trying to mail candy around the world in like the 30s and 40s, crazy. It's hard to do now. Like, I know that. Like, it's hard to do now. <laughs> but to be having e-commerce website 20 years ago, Mark would know. Mark probably did it. It was custom code in the form of PHP. There we go. And other tools on Linux servers. So it was this whole, <laughs> like, custom-coded, like, behemoth. And they really were forward-thinking. Um, at the time, they had built... Um, it's known in-house as the OFS, and it's our order fulfillment system. Mm-hmm. And it was totally customized. And uh, to kind of, um, so I guess I have to backtrack. At this time in the 50s, you know, when we're sending out mail, that's like, send us your Christmas list, send us your Christmas list. We kind of became known as, you know, kind of that one-stop shop. You just send all of your recipients, and they'll take care of it for you. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll they'll fill your order, they'll wrap it for free, they'll put in your message, like that service just became core of our offering. And so over time, we knew that we needed to build systems that could handle that kind of demand. So very recipient centric. Um, So they built this custom OFS to be able to handle multi-recipient shipping. And that was just something that wasn't really big with any other company, um, we could never find something that offered that natively, that functionality. So we were, we're just used to building things mm-hmm. for ourselves. I remember that coming up in your e-commerce website huge. as well. I remember that coming up, and I saw jaws dropping around that table when we all sat together a year ago of like saying it was like X amount of orders imported at once, and everyone was kind of like, I saw jaws dropping, and I didn't have to deal with it, so I was like, Yep, let's do it. They can do that. Yep, yep, yep that's for them. I remember sitting there thinking like, I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah, forty like forty five hundred, you know, on an order recipients on an order, um, and so we've had to uh, and and at that time though when the OFS was being built, this was before we we're on big commerce, all of that that would be manually entered by an agent into that system. It was not imported, so you can just imagine like the vision of what if we didn't have to manually enter that? What if 
we imported that, that's so many hours, you know, that you're reducing that human error. We could put all that into marketing, you know, we could put all that into sales outreach, things like that. Um, so, you know, without jumping ahead too much, the challenge for me has been putting together that vision and trying to think about, um, what does this need to look like? Like, what are we trying to, when we scale, what does that look like? What's our end goal? So that being said, what is your role at Lamb's Candy? Oh yeah. Like, because I think this is also a very interesting thing. Like, I think that, like, I think when I think of what your role is, I think it's like this nebulous thing <laughs> that it's like, do a little bit of that, do a little bit of this, mm -hmm. a little bit of that. I kind of find myself in a similar situation sometimes like me at work, but like, what is your title? And then like, what do you actually do? Okay. Right, because they are two different things. Yes. My official title um, is e-commerce and mail order manager. Mm -hmm. What I actually do is, let's see, let's, let's start with, I manage a team, call center team. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also basically in charge of marketing. Mm -hmm. um, so I work with all of our partners, also in charge of basically e-commerce operations, just in general. And mapping out the the vision the strategy for e-commerce um because the the biggest shift in thinking for the owners is that this department which is like i said kind of the baby of of the family it's it hasn't been around really that long in the grand scheme of things we want that to now be the biggest part of our company we want most of our revenue to come from that so you need to scale up quickly i have to figure out how that's going to happen you're like the lifeblood or like the i think so the way i think of you is i think of you as the person who's bringing this historic company that has done offline has done retail but i see you kind of blending it together and bringing that experience online mm -hmm. so when i think of it i think of like the lamps candies catalog I see you're the one who's blending that into the e-commerce world. I feel like you're almost bringing Lamb's Candy to a completely different like demo in age, mm -hmm. in a new age. I mean, if you have a company that's so historic about you know, 120 years, there's like phases of it. And I see that you're this newest phase of taking this into being a true, like a true e-commerce because e-commerce has been something you've done very well. You wouldn't be open for this long, but e-commerce is, I think, like, that's what I think of when I think yeah. of you in my head. Like, you spoke at one of our events, and you can speak to just the granularity of each one of these things. Like, the call, the, the fact you manage the call center, mm -hmm. but you also do your roadmap on the website. Then you're also working on the copy for it, and you're, like, approving the designs and marketing. Just this whole right. controlled chaos. It is so much controlled chaos, and, and part of... Uh... Part of it's like I love, I thrive off of challenges, of course. I, I think most of us do who are in these kinds of companies. Um, but I also realize that although these things weren't in my job description, they're probably not going to happen until I, unless I do them. Because a lot of the new initiatives are, they're completely different than anything we've done before. So it's harder to get buy-in for that stuff to say, we need to allocate X amount of dollars for something because although data is very important, I can show them, you know, here's the estimated return on investment for this. That's really not going to sell them. They, they want to actually see it in motion and start to see that it's working. So a lot of times when I have, when I speak up and have crazy ideas, I never really get told, no, you can't do that. It's just like, okay, do you have time to do it? You know, make, make it happen and let's see what that looks like. How did you gain their trust? So you've been there for how long? A little under two years. So how did you, so how did you get like Pam's buy-in and like her trust to really take this? 
what they're seeing now is like the jewel. Like we want this to be this. Mm -hmm. How did you like? What did you start doing when you came to Lance? The first thing I did um, was commit to the idea that I was just going to have to learn what the company was about mm -hmm. and the methodologies behind the things that they were doing. Um, because from the outside, it seemed very obvious to me what needed to be fixed. And there are some of those things that to this day hold true, but I've had to really change my mind or my position on a lot of things simply because I'm learning about the unique challenges of a company that's a manufacturer. Mm -hmm. um, before, you know, previous roles I've had, there, there wasn't any of that. We would sell a product, we didn't make it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so just the fact that we have like that plant component to it, um, that introduces a lot of complexity. And that draw you to the role though? Oh, everything drew me to the role. You know, the company, the challenges, the fact that you have this leadership team who's Who's telling you that um, you know we we've got high ambitions? I, I love e-commerce, and I knew with them like they they really want to rise. You know they're willing to um, if they're willing to put their 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 legacy kind of on the line in order to make this really important pivot. Like I respected that so much and knew that I had a lot to learn from them, but also that I had a lot to contribute. So I had to, I had to learn a lot about their legacy systems because as you can imagine, like decades of- We do it this way because of- We do it this way because of this way. I had to learn all of that and learn the way they operate and also like learn how to become a leader or try to become a leader. Every day I, I try even more and more to be a good leader, but now I've got this staff that's like depending on me. Um, I had to learn about operations. So the first year I would say I, I tried to be really humble and, and not have an ego about we need to do this, we need to do this. I just realized that there were super foundational core things that needed to be addressed before I even started thinking about optimizing and scaling because we just didn't have a solid foundation. Um, and so after, and so I think because I took the time to understand that, but then also like acknowledge it in different situations, like prove to them, like I'm understanding, I'm learning, this is sticking with me. I think that started to gain their trust because the last thing they wanted was somebody new to come in and tell them that they've been doing things wrong. Like this is the worst thing you can oh, yeah. do. What would you say like your leadership style is then? Well, I really like to empower people, uh, my team to be autonomous and to just like make judgment calls because this is primarily a customer service mm -hmm. um, environment in which I'm managing them. And so I, I try to remove roadblocks. Like if there's something that's preventing them from providing like excellent seller um, customer service, I want to know what that is so I can make a business case for it. Um, but I just don't like to micromanage. How do they feed that to you? Do you like, do you have like a portal they put the ideas in or do they just like a little comment box in front of your desk mm -hmm. or your office? We actually, we all work together in a close space. So we, we always see each other. Mm -hmm. I don't like sit in my own little office. Um, but officially we do, uh, we do morning standups, which mm -hmm. is fun. And then we also use Trello, okay. um, for all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, we use it for our sales pipeline. I use it as like an IT issues mm -hmm. log. Um, but then also just in general, like it's an, it's an internal knowledge base. And then also just, it, it's your way to 
submit ideas to mm -hmm. me and, and know that I'm looking at it and I can do little status updates in there. Trello is really cool. We, we switched from Trello to one called Monday.com. Oh, yeah. Just because and I, Monday is really cool. We use it because there's so many different departments that we have and the way that we kind of segment some of it out as well. Like we have like partners, but there's different kinds of partners and the way that we want to like striate that mm -hmm. through like a bit of granularity. It became too much on Trello mm -hmm. and it was like, I want a spreadsheet, but I don't want, but I don't want a spreadsheet. Yeah. And so that's what we found Monday. So it was like, yeah. for us, it's like the best thing ever. I love it. Yeah. I, I live and die in that. We call it, <laughs> we call it MCOM because you can say, Hey, did you check Monday? You think it's like a day and it's just confuse it. So Monday.com, if you're listening, MCOM, you should switch to that because it makes everyone, it's very confusing in the office. <laughs> did you check it on Monday? You're like, what? No, what are you talking about? You didn't tell me what to check. Yeah. No Monday. It's so Weird tangent. No, it's, um, you know, we, again, we try to use these tools mostly because I've introduced them because I'm always trying to look at how can we communicate more efficiently, but nothing has been more effective than just turning around and speaking to someone Absolutely. face to face. Um, I do have to try to set boundaries on that because I need to get stuff done and all the context switching, it, it can kind of be a little tricky there, but um, but no, I, I respect, you know, my team so much and they each have their own unique strengths. So I really, I'm not into micromanaging. I just want to know like what they need from me. Um, and I try to set structure. That's probably the most important thing I do for that team is set structure. Look at what processes aren't working. I listen to their phone conversations with the mm -hmm. customer. And if they're kind of, if I'm sort of detecting that there's information that, they're not able to give or they're if I can see that they're flipping through books like trying to find something mm -hmm. that's my cue that there's like an information gap maybe we need to train more so I, I try to really I try to really look out for them that way they're not having to worry about much they're just present with that customer because that's just a, that's a critical part of, of our of our brand so the focus is on the customer not on that Definitely. So, so kind of going back into e-commerce then about like protecting, you know, not protecting, but making sure your brand is still there. Mm -hmm. How did you find, you know, mirroring that catalog experience on the e-commerce or what was it, like, what were the biggest difficulties for you on that? And then what are some of the ones you're still working through? Because I know that from our conversations, you say that, you know, catalog is still a main part of the business. Like, what's the idea to get those catalog buyers into that? So, so basically what we're trying to do is um, actually have a pretty significantly different um, experience and not different in the sense that visually it looks different mm -hmm. or it reads different. We want um, a common voice, mm -hmm. um, a common brand, but in the past, the catalog really only served existing customers. Mm -hmm. um, it served those who already knew about us, who just wanted to see if we had anything new. Um, there wasn't a lot there that was really informative or super compelling um, for a newer audience. So with the online experience now, um, we're trying to become way more focused on that user experience. Um, in the past, I think that there's been a, a big focus on call center efficiency in general. So a lot of the, the time and effort and resources went into making our systems as efficient as possible. And while that is important, it left the actual like front end, the website, very lackluster because what we were doing is just putting a lot of um, messaging around if you have a question about this, call us. If you have a question about this, call us. And so now we're really starting to look at that and um, figure out 
content, like what do, when people come here, like what do they want to find out? Um, what useful, like cool information can we serve them? Product discovery, um, you know, for someone who's never heard of lambs before, are they looking for chocolates? Are they looking for corporate gifting? Are they looking for custom things? Um, we, need, we need to make that navigation a, a lot more smoother. Um, and we want them to stay with us and learn about us. And we want them to um, feel that this is a company that is really going to take care of them. And there's a lot of trust there. So we're looking into um, you know, UGC and how can we bring that social proof in? So, so essentially the biggest difference is that we want community on, on our site and we've got that community offline. You know, we have tons of like raving, I don't want to call them fans, but just people, oh, you're who, a fan. people you're who, a fan. who love lambs. No, and, you legitimately have fans. Yeah. So we're, we want to tap into that. So we're looking at Yapo um, for that, about having an integration and bringing all that love on site um, because we're in a stage of needing to um, increase our brand awareness because as an older company, you risk becoming obsolete if you don't take the time to reevaluate your market presence. And there's a lot more competition now. You know, we're, we're not um, the same kind of pioneering brand that I think we were in our earlier stages. There's a lot of innovation out there, a lot of really cool things. So we're, we're trying to catch up <laughs> basically. Um, and so through all these different partnerships we have with, with local companies like Shipper HQ, um, we can finally kind of get past the hurdles that have been plaguing us for really and, long What time. are some of those hurdles like for like out of examples, like how like shipping candy, presenting candy, there's so many different things because I, I feel like, I feel like it's a visual and it's something that you want to taste. So how do you convince someone to order, you're not the cheapest candy in the world, but how do you, how do you help entice it? What are some of the things you've done to make people go, okay, I'm, I'm ordering some Longhorns or like, what have you done to say like, I want these pralines? Yeah. Well, see the biggest thing for us, like I said, has been word of mouth. And so, um, to tell you the truth, we're not doing enough to convey that because still a huge part, um, of our customer base, their existing customers, or they might be, they might be a new customer technically, but their grandmother used to buy lambs. Um, so currently to this day, we're not doing enough to entice people. You know, we've got, we've got photos online, we have our product descriptions, but really what we want to do is bring in more content, video, you know, really nice video showing how our products are made. We want to bring in more content about um, who we partner with, you know, because our supply chain, um, we just work with a lot of ethical companies. Um, who are sustainable. We work with a, like, a lot of local companies. Um, just sourcing our pecans, uh, we only source from Texas farmers. Um, so we're part of like the Go Texan program. Awesome. Exactly. Um, our chocolates, our lamb's chocolate, the beans are sourced from Godard Chocolatier. They're based out in um, California and they're extremely sustainable, ethical. And, and that's something that we just don't talk about enough, um, that Lambs really has kind of a tenacious commitment to quality. And so because someone is not gonna be able to smell the you know sweetness from the screen or, or touch it, I think you need to pull in as much of that content as you can and show your product in a variety of ways. Having that user-generated content in place is gonna bring the trust, but we, we wanna back up all the things that we're saying with, with 
proof. Exactly. So that's what a huge priority for me is today is putting that in place. Have you heard of Have you heard of Jenny's ice cream? Yeah. So Jenny's is a fellow big commerce site. Um, they're they're old e-com directors. A friend of mine. Hello, Chelsea. You're probably not listening, but hello. She kind of did something similar to what you did. Was they had a brick and mortar and they had this offline presence. And her big thing was building that awareness. You know, they only use all the cows from Ohio. They like, everything is like locally sourced. And once she kind of built that, you know, kind of the backdrop for the ice cream, I think the ice cream, like the ice cream, looked even better because like. The first time I remember speaking to her was three and a half years ago, probably, and I mentioned Amy's ice cream, and I, I could hear an eye roll, and then I got some ice cream, and I was like, Amy, who is Amy? I am like, Jenny's through and through, like the royal blue below my building that sells Jenny's, or Jenny's ice cream. I eat it all the time. But it's that same thing of being a more higher-end dessert, sweet, something like that, and it's about, you can't taste it, but like everyone like... Everyone knows what ice cream tastes like. There's like a difference. Like everyone knows what a praline might taste like. There's a difference. And it's all about like how to kind of just like transcend and convey that in a different light. It's really tough. Um, one thing that's kind of funny is we've got this book at work and it's called, I just call it the black book, but it's this huge, like super heavy, like I have to use my, like bend my knees and like pick up this book and wipe off the dust and in like, printed on there it says dt lambs you know and it's again it's his book and it's our print ads over the years oh really and like starting from like probably like the 30s and it's my favorite thing ever because whenever i'm feeling like i need a dose of inspiration whenever i'm feeling like i'm losing focus i kid you not i go into our conference room i close the door pull out that book and I mean it's huge like you just have to like fully extending your arms out just to like open this thing um, and then I flip through and look at the ads um, because the descriptions of the product like we haven't done anything like that since so we need to channel that again because the praline the Texas truth become pralines that's what we're known for that's what we, we created first like that's what I have a question quick on pralines so I was in New Orleans over the and I was with our CEO, we were on a corporate retreat, and first of all, she was calling them praloin, praloins, she's British, but <laughs> where are pralines from? Did you guys invent pralines? We did not invent pralines. Okay, because I, she asked me, and I was like, I have no idea. I think, I think actually at the time, Louisiana was famous okay. for pralines, pralines is what they call pralines. them, pralines. Oh, is that, is that what they actually call them? Yeah, like pralines, just like that. Oh, I just thought she was British. <laughs> There's a lot of things that she'll say that I just don't understand, and I'm like, I just chalk that up to being from England. So. Yeah, no, we, we didn't invent them, I don't think. Um, you but perfected them. We, we certainly perfected them, because at the time, so so DT Lambs, after he purchased you know the business, um, he started experimenting with pecans that grew along um, Barton Springs at the time. And so he would harvest those pecans, and he would like take them to his little shop, and he would experiment with them and find like the right combination of like sweetness, but not too sweet, you know, the, the right sort of texture, something cheery. And then after like seven years of experimenting with that, finally came up with like his ultimate recipe. And it, um, he 
he came up with that the same year as the Columbian Exposition. And so it was sort of like this big thing, like introducing the world to like the best <laughs> pralines. And um, like we have not changed the recipe since then. Why would you? Because why would you? And and I think- Who has, is it super secret? It's super secret. I think only like three people know that recipe and one of them is the manufacturing manager, you know, the plant manager. I, I think we talked about this at one point because it's like, it was you or someone else, it had to have been you because I don't know a lot of people with like old family recipes, <laughs> but it's gotta be like, maybe like Pam as like a family person, the manufacturing facility, and there's like a third party person they like told half the recipe to when they were asleep just it's in case. probably, I'm not sure. Do you think it's buried in a backyard somewhere? So. It's like the Krabby Patty recipe or something. It's I like, want there to like be a treasure map. Exactly. I bet in that DT Lamps book, there's a treasure map in there. I just haven't seen it yet. It's like national treasure. You're going to flip through it. There's going to be an X on one of these. You're going to have to like back. Oh my gosh. That would be amazing. I will come over and help you decode it. So great. All the magnifying. The book sounds big enough. So you can be on one side. You can be on the other. I'm going to have a magnifying glass. It's like in Latin or something. It's very obscure. But well, yeah. it's called Nicholas Cage. Exactly. Yeah, I'll have to call it. We can help us solve this. But yeah, it's it's definitely under lock and key. Like it is um, just incredible how they've kept that recipe secret. But it's it's but it's a basic recipe. Like they only use like five or seven ingredients. It's just they have these um, time proven heritage techniques that they use to actually make it. Like I've seen them making it. I don't know what they're doing, but it looks really cool. And um, we just use the same techniques, you know, for our taffy kisses. Like there's like an old school pulley and it's like one of my favorite things to watch. So that's the kind of content that we are looking to bring online. That's so cool. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like one of the things and like one of the things that you said is you kind of give structure. And I feel like you're at that point right now with like e-commerce with like with your big commerce platform. Mm -hmm. So on your other platform, you had some, you had some issues, but I feel like right now, like you have it. Like you mentioned, like I have this working. I have I have my products online. I'm actually selling stuff. Mm -hmm. I've got you know a couple things that are all kind of together, and then it just sounds like you're like you're not even scratching the surface. Like it's 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 really exciting. And so um, kind of going back to how you were asking about like how you sell that, and so like as I'm flipping through this like you know 100 pound book looking at old ads and, and reading about these pralines because for for like decades that was just like the main thing that they sold so all the ads were centered around our texas tree pecan pralines that's it's amazing and it's it's not even like my my top candy at lambs but after your I, personal top candy my personal top okay candy. that is one of the questions i know it's one of your questions yeah. <laughs> And um, it's not even my my personal top, though it's like unlike anything I've ever had. It's just that I'm a big chocolate person. Um, at the end of flipping through that book, I am just like, I have to have a praline right now or else I can't do anything else with my day. So I'll like go to the back and get a praline. And that's all just from flipping through those ads. You know, that's just from the like luscious descriptions. So I know that there's like magic in here that I need to bring on our marketing campaigns. Like this content is here. It's just like updating it and making Absolutely. it online. So that's, that's really fun is feeling like I've got this, I've got like this little secret. That yeah, you've got this little holy grail. Exactly, it's really cool. And I talk about it all the time. Like I talk, I rave about it and everyone's just looking at me like, oh, that old thing. Does anyone else really look at the book or is it just you who's like, this is, 
our marketing <laughs> plan for the next. This was from the 30s till whatever he passed, he passed. And it's like, I'm using the same thing. It's like, it's the air. It worked. It's awesome. It, 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 it's so good. And I, I'm i sure everyone's getting tired of me bringing it out because when they see me walking in with this big book, it's just like, oh my gosh, Lauren's going to go on one of her, you know, rampages. Um, but, but so I think that's how you sell it online because the way I feel when I'm flipping through it, I just feel really like joyful, really happy. Times when we're even around. Exactly. It's simpler times, times, like joyful. It's warm. It's family. And that's, that's so, that's so timeless. So today, you know, we're highly, highly seasonal. 80% of our sales occur, you know, November and December a little bit, you know, for Valentine's day. And then that's it. Like it, it drops off, and that's sort of just been like the status quo. Is we're okay with that, you know? Well, not that we're okay with it, but just like that's how You're it is. For it. We're, and so my my response to that kind of seasonality is we need to take a step back and really look at as like what we're in the business of, um, because we're not just a business that manufactures candy that's that's we do that but that's not what our business is our business really is creating shared moments and joy like through sweets that's really what we do and that's that's a timeless thing there's no um because if if we wait and do our big marketing pushes for christmas and valentine's day then the only time people are going to think about us is Christmas and Valentine's Day. Um, so that's how you become obsolete. But taking a step back and looking at, you know, we're bringing joy, like we're celebrating moments. That's what we're doing. That's going to change the way we look at our offering. Um, because not only is it like very holiday specific, it's also legacy products specific. It's, you know, our Texas tree pecan pralines as they come, and then maybe a few other things. But now we're taking a step back and looking at like, no, we're in the, we're in the business of happiness and joy and like, you know, family moments and celebration that opens up so much opportunity and um, so many other like directions for how we want to segment our customers and the types of, you know, marketing campaigns we want to do. So, you know, now we're looking at like, what is the value we're bringing to our customers? at the end of the day a business is not just what you sell it's that value you're bringing to customers so we do need to be looking at okay what is our vision for for what we want to be and then what is our customer what do our customers expect how does that mesh together we're going to start to see gaps and that's what we're focusing on so it is things like local delivery it is things like expanded customization options um that's kind of my approach when i'm creating a roadmap. So, yeah, so you so mentioned it's like what are the next things? Like and I know that the last time the last time we spoke we talked about wanting to get into like that local gifting. Mm-hmm. Like why like why are we just sending each other chocolate strawberries? Like not you and I together like together. We don't just send each other chocolate <laughs> strawberries like hey miss you. But like like what what is it? Like what do you want to do? So you guys you have these brick and mortar stores, you know, you mentioned that you want to drive traffic to them, you want to, you know, send traffic out to them like what what in your head is like this is exactly what i want i always have to remember that like at the end of the day my job is to ensure the growth of Mm e-commerce 
And so that gets tricky because there are other, you know, retail and wholesale also feed into the overall company strategy. So really the things that we're thinking about e-commerce affect the other departments as well. And so although, you know, I, I do spend some time thinking about like retail experience, you know, wholesale, um, my focus for e-commerce is kind of that twofold bringing community online through content sharing all of that and then also let's make it super convenient for people to deliver our gifts like to loved ones um, let's make it super easy to customize your gift and put your branding on it um, so to do that we need um, like i said better customization options we also need local delivery um for our chocolate covered strawberries for sure that's like our number one request is why can't i send those and then also um for corporate um businesses coming into austin for trade shows you know employee gifts um, conventions they really rely on us to pretty quickly be able to put together an order deliver it to their conference center mm -hmm. Um, with their branding on it. Uh, so, so I'm kind of building out the infrastructure to be able to do that um, because the, something that is incredibly important these days, as you know, is convenience Absolutely. and having a very frictionless path to get there. So that's a huge priority for me. And do you see that friction around like, I don't want to make this about shipping. Mm -hmm. We haven't so talked about shipping yet. One of the only thing, that's one of the few things I actually know anything about. So <laughs> I'm going to highlight this so I sound kind of smart in comparison to you. But how, so what were some of the frictions you saw shipping like candy? We've spoke a lot about pralines, but there's chocolate with strawberries, there's taffy, there's the jalapeno um, stuff. There's just, it's everything. You need to go to lambs.com, L-A-M-M-E-S.com. So I can kind of paint the picture by telling you what things looked like three years ago before we were on Shipery. So end to end, so like website to website. So not just about like logistics, like what did it look like adding to the cart? Like let's talk yeah. about the experience. Because I've heard, some of the stuff I've heard, but I wanted like, yeah, I, I think absolutely. everyone's going to hear this podcast and like, I'm going to become so famous. I'm going to be selling ads. I'm going to be selling fit tea on my Instagram. Like this is going to just blow us up. So end to end. Okay, here's what would happen. May to October, a customer would go on our website and mm -hmm. they would look at chocolates or mints. Those are two multiple categories. And they would find a product that they really wanted, like the Longhorns, for example, and they would see a message that would say, hey, we're in warm weather shipping mode, um, call us. Mm -hmm. So there, that's the end for e-commerce. You know, and that would go to the call center. That would go to the call center. But that does fall technically under the same thing. Right. The lines are getting a little bit blurred now, and even what we call things is starting to shift. But mail order for us is technically call center and e-commerce. Got it, okay. So now more and more I'm pushing for just e-commerce, but you know, um, you carve that niche out. Right. That's you, man. That's right. me now. This is us. This is what we're doing. So the customer would have to call us and then what we would do is the agent be like, okay, you know, what do you want to, what are you looking to order and where are you shipping it to? They would say something like California. The agent would then look at their chart, like a UPS time and transit chart. They would kind of map out, okay, California is a four to five day ship point. Our ice packs only last for two days. That means we're going to have to do expedited second day shipping plus an ice pack. 
here's how much that'll cost. And then at that point, the customer might be like, oh, like that's really expensive. And I've spent so much time first going to your website, then talking to you. That's five minutes just figuring out, you know, the information I wish I had initially, you know, as soon as I got to your website. Um, and so conversion on chocolates is really low because A, you can't buy them on our website and B, like just getting that information was such a difficult thing. And so now the way it looks is a customer goes on our website, they look at Longhorns. Um, there's still going to be a message saying, Hey, by the way, we're in warm weather shipping mode. There's a link to our shipping page, just a bunch of you know, details that you should know, but the biggest thing you can add it to your cart. That was kind of a big deal for us. You can add it to your cart. And then when you get at checkout based on rules that we um, put together in shipper HQ, able to look at, is this product meltable? Yes or no. If yes, it looks at what region you're shipping to. Is it close to Texas? No, it's really far. You need expedited. Or are you shipping internationally? You have all kinds of like really complicated things. It does in an instant. We don't have to have an agent just try to describe it, remember it, figure it out. It does it all on its own. Um, so can the customer service people worry about other things then besides? Yeah, are they for happy sure. to worry about like, oh, here's my little pull down map. God, nobody wants to do that. No, I know. <laughs> exactly. I have, a, I have a saying that there's three most boring things in the world. The only thing more boring than shipping is tax. And the only thing more boring <laughs> than tax is inventory. And so I will always say, and I'm always very happy that I don't look for a tax or an inventory company. Like if I ever see those, don't let me go near a window in a high story building because I'm jumping out of it. Like I could not handle oh doing inventory or, or tax. The thing about shipping though is like the details of it can feel like it kind of boggles the mind thinking about all the different routes and oh like well if we ship on this type of day you know it doesn't move during the weekend so you know this 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 but it's so extremely important because customers they don't want to hear all the details they don't care they don't care but shipping is so important to them they just want to know how much is it going to cost and when is it going to get there um so it's like something super complicated um able being able to, to configure shipper hq so that it honors those rules and we don't have to do it ourselves like it not only does it free up time and enable customers to actually make those transactions themselves on the website but it just like is good for morale because that kind of thing it's the way i look at it is like those are things that like technology can solve yeah and, like, the, and i don't know if you know this so like the whole, the whole thing, how this whole shipper two thing started was Karen's husband, our CEO, was a merchant and had a Magento website in like 2000 and whatever, eight, seven, I don't remember. I've only been in Magento for like four years, so I'm 2015 and now is the only thing I know about. But, you know, and her whole problem was you couldn't show two shipping methods at once. And so that was her issue. So she wrote an extension and fixed that. And then she wrote another extension and fixed that and fixed that and fixed that. And then that's what we can't do. And a chocolate company came in, I don't know, probably six years ago. This is before my time. They were just like, we just want our ice cream, or we want our chocolate just not to melt. Mm -hmm. And like, it was just solving that issue because when we're working at our best, never know about us because mm -hmm. the customer just sees a rate, they click it, and it's done. Like the most important thing to me, and this is just partially because I'm, I'm impartial to shipping and I work for a shipping company, is that the last thing the customer sees are two things. I guess three if you count like a thank you email. 
but it's when they click order, when they get their information on where it's going, when the package arrives. Those are all three like shipping functions. Mm -hmm. So you've got the most beautiful website in the world, but if you have a crappy experience of you know in the checkout, or you have a crappy experience getting a tracking label, if you have a crappy experience of the package actually arriving, then that's the thing that's going to be left in their mouth. Not oh my gosh, their search was easy. They had this great review. They, but then it looks like they kicked it from Austin up to California. Like, oh great, this is perfect. Yeah, it's so true. You can do so much work up front, you know, to get them to convert, and then they won't come back. So you'll just have nothing but new customers. Exactly. That's no like, exactly. And then you're going to be like, oh yeah, these people just, they suffer through it. But no, that's, I think that's the one thing that like we're always really happy. And I think that's the one thing for us is that we just want to like, add value. And I, like every time we talk to you, it's always like, Next, how are we gonna do this? So it's always really exciting. I have a, I have a question for you because I remember looking this up. What were you doing before, before Lambs? You were at Lux. Before that, you worked at a research lab. <laughs> so, so that was my job when I was in college. Um, and you went to UT. I did go to UT. Okay. So before I went to UT, I got a journalism degree, and I was in San Antonio, and so I worked for the um, Air Force Research Laboratory basically as a receptionist. I worked the front desk. And so totally different um, kinds of stakeholders there, you know, military, crazy hierarchy, you know, and um, I really enjoyed that, but it was just something um, to do to help pay for college. And then when I went to UT, I studied, I studied government and rhetoric and writing, thought about going into law school, started You'd be a good to, lawyer. <laughs> I kind of fell in love with like research, like waving through tons and tons of documentation, synthesizing it, figuring out what the core is, what really matters, and then putting that together, which is super useful now. That makes sense why you like that book. Um, I love that book. And so um, once I graduated, I just immediately, like, basically had no idea what I wanted to do. And so I started selling vintage clothing online and would put together little outfits, would look, try to learn about merchandising, you know, what was working. And I really loved it. And I thought I was pretty good at it. Um, but then I had gotten an offer to work at an art gallery. So then I went into art sales. Okay. This is not on my LinkedIn. But um, <laughs> I worked at, like so in the Hill Country, like in Deep Caves, there's an art gallery. So I worked there and learned about the... Is it the one across from uh, the shopping center? No. It's actually, it's not in business anymore. Oh, okay. So there's an art, because I know there's an art gallery next to, like, with the Whole Foods and the whole shopping center. Oh, yeah. Right across from there's a something-something art gallery. Yeah, it was called Authenticity and um, learned about art sales. And then after that closed, I got hired to work at a pottery studio in um, Dripping Springs. I worked at a pottery studio and learned about pottery and how to sell that and really, really loved it. But that was around the time when, um, you know, so I'm still doing kind of my vintage thing at the time. Then I got the job at Lux. And what and were you selling the vintage on? Were you were on a platform? It was Etsy. Etsy, okay. It was Etsy, you know, and um, a little force we reckon with Etsy is pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Um, and so when I worked at Lux, that's when I entered my first role as an e-commerce manager. Okay. Um, and so again, that's you know a local company um, that was beauty and like fashion, and so. Love that. Worked worked there for three years. That was more. Um, my job description was much more on the creative side, though. You know, it was photo shoots and um, marketing, a lot more email marketing at that time. And just saw that my last year there, we had like forty percent, you know, growth year over year. Um, but we kind of had this discussion that the focus is more on our retail stores. We're not really looking for rapid growth for e-commerce. 
And that was just something I fell in love with and knew, okay, I think I'm I'm ready for like a really big challenge. Um, And so whenever I interviewed with Lambs, they were, they came out the gate with that. Like we're looking to grow. Like we want to be back out there. Like we want to introduce ourselves to all these new Austinites, you know, um, who are coming in from California, wherever We, we need to reinvent ourselves. And there was so much like passion there. And just, like I said before, I really just respected that move. Um, and so we were a good fit and now I'm obsessed with like growing this company. So that's so, that's such a great, I like the kind of like the creative steps. Mm-hmm. Cause I can tell you're creative. And so I think kind of, it's like one of those things where you kind of do a couple little odds and ends things that kind of help sharpens you. It makes sense. So where did your work ethic come from? Like, where does this come from? Where does this drive and determination come from? I think There's like bar none. Like I, I feel like every, I, th- I think you could go into boxing or successful. I think whatever you do, like, where did that come from? I really feel like um, it's kind of two things. I've always felt like um, a little bit like I know what it's like to have to be scrappy for things because I've worked at a lot of like smaller companies or try to do my own endeavors. Um, And so you're doing the whole job, Mm -hmm. you know, you're doing everything end to end. I'm not doing fulfillment now and actually packing boxes, but there was a time when I did have to do that, you know? And so having to um, try and reach success while managing everything yourself, um, I think you just have much more of an appreciation um, for, for what it takes to, to, to have a product and to put it out there for people. Um, but really, I think I've learned the most from our, our owners. Like who, honestly, who better to learn business from than a family who's been in business forever. Oh yeah. And um, Brian Tice, he is head of operations. Um, Pam, as I mentioned, she's director of sales. And then Lana, she's the other family member and she's a retail director. Um, and the three of them, I mean, they really couldn't be more different, completely different personalities. Um, but they do have their, a, a lot of strengths and they've taught me a lot about just resiliency because their company um, has, they've gone through so many changes and they, they're they not the type of, of business leaders to stick their head in the sand. Um, whenever there's a reality that they don't want to face, they face, they face it head on, you know? And so because of that, um, they expect a lot from their staff. And so what they've taught me to do is just be very prepared. You know, before I step into a meeting with them, I've already done hours and hours of work. I can tell you have your, I, I saw this <laughs> so Lauren was the first person, I don't know if I talked about this at the of the podcast or not, but Lauren was the first person I interviewed who was like, do you have any questions for me? Like, what are you going to ask me? And I had some like rattling around in my head and I've interviewed a few other people um, that have like already gone out. And I didn't really have them written down, so whenever I did, I'm like, yeah, sure. But I can like see across the table that she has it like in a different font, and they're like bolded out, so I can definitely see that you come prepared. And I'm trying not to read it. <laughs> I'm sure it looks a lot better on paper when I have the time. But um, if, it, if this doesn't if this doesn't sound good on the editing, we'll just I'm just gonna ask her. I'll just be like, yeah, here's a podcast with Lamb. Here's a piece of paper. I'll, I'll just read it myself. Yeah. And then Lauren said that. <laughs> So yeah, being prepared um, because they they want they want me to speak up. You know, if, if there's something that 
I feel very strongly about and I've got conviction. They want to hear it, but they want me to be prepared um, with the information that's important to the to each of them. So you've got these stakeholders are each looking at a problem from different sides or looking at operationally. They're looking at how it's going to affect sales or looking at how it's going to affect you know, just that change management um, is something that's been been new to me. And so I've had to really um, learn how to read, you know, my stakeholders, how to present information in a way that, again, is that synthesizing it so that way they can just focus on the meat of it, the big picture, and it can be on with their day. And I can get buy-in for things because I'm taking the time to understand the challenges, you know, what the change is, how it's going to affect us and making the case for this is why we need this, you know. And so all that I just I learned from working with um, that kind of team. That's a family who takes so much pride in their business and it is personal for them. You know, the the business isn't personal thing does not ring true for our company. It is personal. So what are you what is like a podcast that you're listening to that you'd really recommend? So I love, I love business podcasts. Mm -hmm. And, um, so my favorite ones are masters of scale. Um, that's a really great one. If you're interested in like growth in general, Mm -hmm. I love hearing success stories, you know, from different, like consumer goods, companies, software companies. Mm -hmm. On my way here, I listened to this, the one about Slack. That was really cool. Um, I also like how I built this. How I built, I love. So how I built this. good. <laughs> I was just kind of waiting for you to say this. I was like, you're gonna say how I built this. Oh, it's so good. Sorry. Exactly. And money, Freakonomics, like the, those are kind of like the the main ones I listen to. What about but like fun podcasts? My favorite fun podcast is called Professor Blastoff. Okay. And it's about science. All right. But the podcast, it, it like the three people on the podcast are comedians. Yep. And so basically they bring in an expert of something, maybe they're talking about space exploration and they've got like kind of like this real super knowledgeable kind of serious person coming in and teaching them about stuff, but just like the dynamic between them all, it's just funny and lighthearted, but you learn something in the end. That's a good one if I'm feeling just like overloaded. Have you heard of Who Moved My Cheese? Like that, it's like a super iconic business book. It's really short. Oh, I've heard of it. You can, (laughs) it's it's like old school though. It's, it's old school. It's, I came out in the nineties, I want to say, but it's called Who Moved My Cheese. Um, And it's about change, like dealing with change um, in your workplace. And so um, the one I read is kind of in that same realm and it's called Raving Fans. And it's about um, this area manager who gets a new job. And so he's like super unsure, like how he's going to take this business that's fixing to go defunct. Like there's all kinds of customer service problems and he doesn't know how to fix it. And so this fairy godmother named Charlie appears and basically it's like a Christmas carol where he takes him to three different businesses and they look at the customer service in each of them and what makes them so stellar and different and most importantly, how they created, they went from just satisfying customers to creating like raving fans. And so I read that and it was, it was awesome. It was like, it was funny, it was quick. 
And it just gave me a lot to think about because when I look at like business books and podcasts and whatever, I, I just, I want kind of the core concepts that I can like meditate on and take back to my company. I don't want to be told like the answers. I just, I, I like the guidance. The thought, the thought. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I totally agree with that. I, I'm a big fan of the, uh, the Harvard Business Review as like series of books. And they have ones about like data analytics and things like that. And I think the biggest thing that it does is it doesn't give you, well, it'll give you like answers, but the whole kind of journey and the way that you read them is like, it just makes you think differently. Because mm-hmm. there's some books that like I've only read half of it and I've been like, I have to think about how I would handle this next chapter. Yeah. And that's my favorite thing because I don't want to like, I don't like to be like, it's the whole like, you know, leading the horse to water. Like I don't want to be led. Exactly. I want to like get dehydrated for a little while. <laughs> I want to like have to figure, then like when you get to the water, it's just like so much more satisfying. Exactly. Exactly. I want an aha moment, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, that's, I, and I want to find that myself. Like I don't want to read it. Like I want to like be stuck. I want to be stubborn. And I want yeah, to like find it. Because it's exactly. more gratifying. It is more gratifying. And you're going to learn lessons that like nobody else has come up with, you know, probably because that's your entire thought process. You know, if you're just like regurgitating things that other people have come out with, that maybe you will meet success. But what happens after that? Do you find a lot? Do you ever do you ever run into those people like in like workplace because like that they just like spout off facts and they're like, well, there's this and then there's that, and it's like you've never done this before. Like, <laughs> I may not have the factual knowledge and cannot recite you know these six <laughs> like subsections of this article, but I can tell you that shit does not work. <laughs> like, how do you combat that? Because it's like still something that I have, because I think that like, we're around the same age, we have the same issue sometimes where like, we might not be like taken seriously, or there's like this like stigma towards youth. Like, how do you get through that? That is a really good question. And it's one that I don't even think I have an answer to. I just have to oh, stay I was, calm. I, I was hoping you did, because I still don't know. Well, you know, I really do try to use that as fuel because there was, I think for a long time, I, there was a ton of imposter syndrome, you know, like, oh my gosh, I have, I've been offered this role. It could really like change my career. You know, what am I going to do? Um, I, people respond to that a lot of different ways. I think that that it actually does a lot of good for me um, because I don't dwell on it, but I just realize again, gotta be prepared, gotta be prepared. Um, so whenever I run into people who seem like they are spouting off, you know, buzzwords or like data points to, to sound smart, like I, I don't think that it really phases me because now I've got enough experience that I can pull from some sort of anecdote that probably mirrors what they're saying, but in a way that is much more real. And if they can't provide something similar, I think it's pretty clear who's had that real world experience and who hasn't. Um, but also the, the company that I try to keep in terms of like my, my network and you know partners we work with, they're just, they're not like that. You know, they're casual, maybe that's just an Austin thing, but there's, there's something about the environment here where people are so smart, they know what they're doing, they're talented, but they don't like try to impress it's you. Yeah. It's not a badge, exactly. They, they show their skill through their work, and that's something that comes over time, not Absolutely. just immediately. I totally agree with you on that. I, so I have like a so one of the things I do is like every other week, a friend of mine runs product and support for a pretty big hosting company, and we just get on. So it's a peer call. So every every other week we'll do a peer call where we just talk about things because one of the things that we found is that we're not reinventing the wheel and like running like operations, running like support teams, things like that. And so like. He's got a bit more experience. I'm running support teams. I've got a bit more experience running like overall operations. 
and so we just kind of just talk to each other. It's just like, it's just like this. It's just mm -hmm. you just talk about some stuff. We don't ever like bring like some talking points, but just <laughs> sitting like we just we get on like Google Hangout and we talk for like an hour just about like what's going on, and that's one of the things that like I found I really like. Yeah. It's just talking to someone else that's kind of like minded in that similar situation where. You know, and then it's like, well, you know, like, uh, we did a thing about, like, support tickets without, like, being really, because that's going to be boring. But, like, <laughs> like, that's going to be boring, like, talking about customer service. But, like, it's the same thing about being like, well, you know, I used to do it that way, but then we moved to doing it this way because of this. And he can tell me that because he's already gotten there. And so, me in my head, I'm like, okay, so if I would have told him this, then this would have broken, and I would have tried to fix it. And then if I was lucky, I would have gotten the result that he has now that he's running. And then just, like, having someone to, like, talk to about that is just... Oh my gosh. It just, you know, without, without being, you know, very like cliche about it. Um, it really makes being in business, being in this world, you know, of like e-commerce or retail, just like sales in general, it makes it so much more bearable mm -hmm. because you can get so caught up in like, just like your KPIs and your metric and all that stuff is important, but really the kind of like the community that organically builds when you have like something of value that you believe in and other people are gravitating mm -hmm. towards that and like you're relating to one another and it's sort of done in a mutually beneficial way because you're sharing information. Like, I think that's really where you see a lot of success. Um, and so, yeah, I, I learn a lot through conversations like this and if anything else, it just like confirms that this is, this is not, easy stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're all trying to navigate this, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're really trying to do our best and, um, in a, in a world where, you know, disruption is like mm -hmm. the thing, like you need to disrupt, you need to be innovative, you need to be cutting edge. And it's like, well, maybe is it okay that that's not our goal? You know, is it okay that we just want to bring joy? Like we're really, that's at the end of the day, we just, we, we see like how happy people are when they have our products and, and, and that has been like our, our fuel. And, um, and it's funny because again, going back to the original DT lamb, like he used to say, this wasn't senior, this was junior. He used to say that the secret ingredient in our candy was energy. And we'd say that all the time. And I kind of feel like, yeah, that's why I eat it. Like it does, it gives me energy and things from like flipping through that book and at the end of it feeling like, oh, I know my purpose. I know the vision and, you know, talking to people like you, like it, it, it all gives me energy. So it's, it's pretty cool that we get to do this. Absolutely. And I don't want to take up much more of your time. So where can people find Lamb's Candies? They can find it um, online at lambs.com. Don't go to Amazon. <laughs> yeah, do not go to Amazon. We didn't talk about that. Is gonna be, that'll, be, that'll be the next episode. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beg you to come on again. <laughs> don't order Lamb's Candies from Amazon. Order from the Lamb's website or go to one of the five locations. Five retail locations. Our, main, our flagship store is on Airport Boulevard. That's where um, the big candy cane is, and that's where our manufacturing plant is. Thank you for coming. Yeah, Thank you for coming to our office. Well, that was fun. That was fun.